Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Murphy's League. In today's episode, I'm going to be previewing the entirety of the NFC East. Timestamps, again, will be located down in the description if you want to skip to your favorite team. But I'm going to be covering everything from the draft, free agency additions, some key departures, and then I'm going to finish each team with a record prediction. So again, timestamps down below if you want to skip to your favorite team. Going to be covering every single team in the NFC East. Let's get right into it. Really excited for it. Alright, so I think the best place to start with the NFC East would really be the NFC Champions Eagles. They did a really good job of keeping their guys throughout free agency this offseason. Obviously, NFC Champs last year, I think a couple of the questions that come uh, into mind when looking at this roster is which young guys will step up with guys like TJ Edwards moving on, with Javon Hargrave moving on. It's really time for N'Kobe Dean and Jalen Carter to step into their roles. And it's going to be interesting interesting to see how immediate their impact can be. Obviously, N'Kobe Dean was a rookie last year, but didn't get too many snaps behind some of their starters. He's going to be forced into a starting role this season, and he was a great linebacker at Georgia, possibly the best in the country while he was there. Jalen Carter, we know how talented he can be. He was probably probably would have been the best prospect if it wasn't for some off-the-field issues and some... Other things he was dealing with there, nothing as far as his actual tape goes. His tape tells no lies. He was one of the best players I've seen in the last five years coming out of college football. He is nothing short of fantastic. And some other guys that they lost before I get into their additions and who they kept around. They also lost Nandamakin Sue, Linval Joseph, Robert Quinn, Andre Dillard. So obviously a lot of these guys were acquired either later in the year or were traded for. Dude. Sorry if you guys can hear that. That crow is like right outside my window. He must be. Anyways, um, they also lost Gardner Minshew, Isaac Salamalu, or Samalu, I think is how you pronounce it. TJ Edwards, who I just mentioned, and then Javon Hargrave are two of the bigger ones that they lost. Um, Javon Hargrave especially, that was a really, really big part of their Super Bowl push. He was a great interior pass rusher and complimented Brandon Graham and Josh Sweat on the exterior but now they bring in Jalen Carter to hopefully seamlessly fit right next to Fletcher Cox there on the defensive line and not lose any steps and I really don't think they will obviously they're not exactly the same in terms of play style but Jalen Carter can do just about anything from that three tech position he is nothing short of fantastic and again just a really really good fit for him as far as not only scheme-wise and what he brings to the table as a pass rusher, as a run stuffer, but also personality-wise, getting these veterans to really guide him in the right direction. I mean, this is a team with so much veteran presence, yes, along the defensive line with Brandon Graham and Fletcher Cox and some other guys, but also just in the locker room as a whole. They have a ton of veterans along this team. They're going to teach him how to be a pro's pro and make sure that He's just heading in the right direction, not getting distracted by the off-the-field things that we did see at the end of his time there in Georgia. Obviously, someone lost their lives in a car crash that he wasn't involved in the crash himself, but he was involved in the racings that caused the crash. So, you know, really, really sad situation there, and we hope that, you know, this is all behind him and... We hope that the best football is still ahead of him because he is a fantastic player. Again, condolences to the family that lost their son that day. Um, I really don't know the whole story, so I'm not going to get into much details about it because it would just be, again, I'd 
don't want to be disrespectful. But let's get into free agency and some of the guys that they kept. Because I said, again, they quote they kept quote-unquote their guys because it really was like the home-run products and the guys that they kept, kept around. I think they're most important pieces. They really, you know made an effort to get some of those guys. It is worth mentioning that all of these guys are 30 years or older. Um, Darius Slay is the first of which that will be coming back. He is 32 years old. So again, their window really is now, but again, not like he showed any signs of slowing down last year. So completely understand why they made the decision to keep him around. They signed him for a three-year, $42 million deal. Again, that lasts until his age 35 season, the uh, season of 2026, I believe is where it, when it goes through. And again, um, I don't love paying older guys like this. I'm very much like part of the analytics crew where I don't think like Vaughn Miller, that's a great example. Last year when he got the contract that he did, I was a little bit critical of it because even though Vaughn Miller, fantastic when he's still on the field, had had some injury histories and, you know, signed a six-year contract for someone that was 32 years of age, I didn't really love it, even if it was front-loaded. Turns out, you know, he's not even coming off the pup list to start this year. So I really do, I mean, I get that Buffalo might be benefiting in different ways as far as a mentorship and a veteran role with Greg Rousseau and other guys learning from, or Greg Rousseau, I think his name is, learning from Vaughn Miller. But a similar situation here where I feel like this could end up biting them in the ass, but until we see it, I, I, there's nothing to, bad to say about this. And it is a different position. It's less physically demanding. He's more of a ball hawking guy. He doesn't really put his body in much harm's way. But if you're going to have any criticisms, I guess it would just be about the age. But again, he showed no signs of slowing down. It was a really, really big part of their Super Bowl push. So I completely understand three years for $42 million makes total sense from that point of view. They also re-signed James Bradbury, another 30-year-old cornerback. Again, same argument for Darius Slay. He was a crucial part of their defense, was super, super important, and didn't show any signs of slowing down last year. This was the best cornerback tandem in the league. Um, and I completely understand why they paid him as well. Paid him a little bit less, three years, $38 million, really good value deal for him there. And then two years that they kept on one year deals, they kept Travis Kelsey, not Travis Kelsey, Jason Kelsey around on a one year, $9 million deal. Again, 35 years old, veteran guy, knows this locker room really well, been around there for a long ass time. Makes total sense why they'd resign him, why, you know, they would want him on a budget deal, why he would want to stay there on a budget deal. This might just be his last year in the NFL. This also applies for Brandon Graham. Brandon Graham signed for even less, also 35 years old, probably not on the same caliber as Jason Kelsey, because Jason Kelsey, if I'm not mistaken, was still an all pro player last year so he still completely has it brandon graham has definitely taken one or two or maybe even three steps back but still effective only for five million dollars makes total sense and he's so important for this locker room as far as a leader goes what he brings to the table in that regard is just priceless so one year five million dollars makes total sense why he's worth more to the eagles organization than basically any organization and vice versa he loves staying there he wants to play there and then they also signed lane johnson to a one-year extension so now he's going to be on the team through 2026 um i think he's already the highest paid right tackle in the league he's been dealing with some injuries that he sounds like he got all fixed up during this offseason and he was dealing with he was actually playing through it during the super bowl so again makes total sense also worth mentioning, Jalen Hurts signed his contract. I'm sure you guys are already aware of this, but it was a five-year, $255 million deal with $110 million guaranteed. He was the highest paid quarterback in the league for a matter of 
hours there until Justin Herbert signed his contract. I don't know the exact, I think it was like a couple days, something like that. But either way, Jalen Hurts was the highest paid player in the NFL for a brief period there until Justin Herbert signed his extension. Again, totally makes sense. Franchise quarterback, you know, you got to sign him. Um, you're not just going to let someone like that walk. No surprises at all. Kept it at market value. So obviously it's a really big contract, but quarterbacks are worth a shit ton in this league right now. Some other guys that they added, excuse me, they traded for hometown kid DeAndre Swift, which I think is a really good fit with this offensive line. And I think he's going to be extremely productive. Again, similar to what I said in my fantasy video about Miles Sanders. Miles Sanders was not a bad back by any means. I think DeAndre Swift is probably even more talented than Miles Sanders. And I think he could be seriously effective along the ground. Him and Rashad Penny are more than likely split carries, especially while Rashad's healthy. Knock on wood, he can stay healthy and then it'll stay that way. But either way, I think he's going to be really efficient in this backfield, you know, with this elite offensive line blocking for him. Basically, any running back can be good in this scheme. So really like that fit there. And again, hometown kid from Philadelphia, like that he's staying around and playing for his home squad. They also added Marcus Mariota. Again, just a decent a decent backup quarterback that has some experience as a starter. So if Jalen Hurts, if anything happens to him, you don't have to completely change your offense like we saw um, with some who the fuck Gardner Minshew was that there am I tripping was Gardner Minshew the backup last year that he came in for like two games I think it was anyways my point is you can't run the exact same playbook with Gardner Minshew and Jalen Hurts obviously there's going to be a lot more RPOs and naked bootlegs with Jalen Hurts in the game but with Marcus Mariota you can basically keep your playbook the exact same and you really don't have to change your identity of the team so from that point of view it totally makes sense they also added young safety from Pittsburgh Terrell Edmonds they needed some safety depth they lost James Bradbury or not James Bradbury they lost um Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, so it makes total sense from that point of view. They also added Miles Jack, again, some much-needed linebacker depth with, you know, guys like N'Kobe Dean stepping up with TJ Edwards leaving, but Miles Jack, a good depth piece there. And then again, I mentioned this earlier, but they also shined Rashad Penny on a very cheap contract. Um, let's get into some more details about their draft. Their draft was just absolutely phenomenal in my opinion. I think they absolutely killed it. Jalen Carter, obviously already talked about this perfect spot to be drafted. Really, really good fit along that defensive line. He is going to be a very productive player for many years to come. I have no doubt about it. Nolan Smith is very, very similar to Hassan Reddick, but even more burst in my opinion. He's not quite as big as Hassan, but I think he'll bulk up a little bit more now that he's in the league. And honestly, I think he has more upside than, than Hassan, which is crazy because Hassan, I think, just had like 15 and a half or 16 and a half sacks in the regular season last year. If you're including playoffs, it was something like 19 and a half. And Nolan Smith is going to be an elite day one run defender just with how high motor he is. And despite his smaller frame, and again, I say small, relatively speaking, because he's still 235 pounds, but for a pass rusher, that's decently small. Um, he makes up for it with just his courage and his heart and how he plays. He's a great run defender. And again, he has every tool in the box to become an elite pass rusher. And learning from Hassan Reddick is just going to be absolutely perfect. Again, their games are very, very similar. A little bit of backer in their roles. So really like that fit there. And it makes total sense just adding more Georgia, Georgia Bulldogs to this defense. They got another Georgia Bulldog later on in Keely Ringo, who I'm not the highest on Ringo, but... 
for getting him in the fourth round for his athletic profile just seems like a total fit and seems like a total steal. I He needs to work on his anticipation, his technique a little bit, but he's great in pest coverage, really, really big. Basically a linebacker out there playing cornerback. He's like 6'2", 210, and ran in the 4'3". So for those reasons, there's a lot to like there. And again, being reunited with a lot of his Georgia teammates, I totally understand the pick there. Again, not the highest on him, but for a fourth-round pick, pretty good value there. They also drafted Tyler Steen out of Bama. He's a tackle slash guard. He's a really, really great pass blocker and probably going to be replacing Isaac uh, Samula, Samola. I still don't know how to pronounce his name along that offensive line, but again, he can kick out to tackle if you need him to. Out of his 498 pass blocking snaps, he only allowed two sacks last year via PFF. So again, really polished guy coming out of Bama. You can see they just like taking big school, you know, polished guys, Alabama, Georgia. It makes total sense. They also drafted Sidney Brown, who's an absolute freak athlete. Both Brown brothers got drafted out of Illinois, which is really cool to me. And basically the entire Illinois secondary got drafted, which is also really cool to me. Um, but Sidney Brown, freak athlete at safety. Again, they needed safety depth, losing Cha Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. Bring some competition in there for Terrell Edmonds, and I think it's a really, really great fit. I like what they did there a lot. And then maybe the biggest steal of the entire draft, Moro Ojamo. Moro Ojamo is an absolute beast at Texas. I cannot explain why he fell this far. I don't know if there's like an injury concern I didn't know about or health concerns or if he like didn't pass some physicals or what the hell it is. But I genuinely have no idea why this dude lasted as well as he did. As someone who's a big fan of PFF, his numbers are absolutely stupid. Absolutely elite run, run defense grade at 91.4. His pass rush win rate was top, top, top tier at 17.8. He is a fantastic player and I really don't know why he lasted this long. I really think he's going to end up making the roster as a seventh round pick and could contribute as early as his rookie year. Um, but again, landing in a spot like the Eagles, learning from the guys that he's going to be learning from, he doesn't need to step on the field week one, which just makes it all the much better for him. Without further ado, let's get into the record prediction segment because I don't think I have to talk much more about the Eagles. Their team is basically the same. We know how good this team is likely going to be again. I still think they have to be the favorites in the NFC. Um, obviously, there's some teams that can give them a run for their money, like the 49ers, but I really do think that the Eagles are going to be just as good, if not better, than they were a year ago. So, record predictions. I have them going 14-3. and three. I forgot to look up this team's over under which i'm going to be mentioning for all the next teams that i'm going to be talking about but 14 and 3 feels like a pretty accurate prediction for them obviously this can go a little bit lower but i really don't see them getting more than 14 wins if they do will i be surprised absolutely not but um some of their games that i want to highlight i'm looking up their over under win total really quickly um it's at 11 and a half wins which feels crazy low they're plus 108 to hit the over that is an over i would definitely definitely be looking to hit um but to highlight some games i do have them winning their first six games in a row before losing their first game of the year versus the dolphins at home i really am pretty high on the dolphins this year as long as they can stay healthy some of their other losses because again there's so many wins you don't really need to talk about them i'll more highlight the losses they go to kansas city in week 10 i believe it is i believe that will be an l just on the road in kansas city obviously a very emotional game that they'll want to prove to the world that they can beat kansas city after losing to them in the super bowl but kansas city knows that as well and i just have a hard time betting against kansas city especially at home and then i also have them losing at week 14 i believe it is i could be counting this wrong no week 13 
at the Cowboys. And again, those divisional matchups always seem to be very tough. Cowboys at home. I think they sneak one away from the Eagles. But basically every other game on their schedule, I would have a hard time picking the opposing team versus the Eagles. So that's going to do it for the Eagles segment. Let's move on. Let's do the Cowboys next. Why not? Let's do it. All right. So the Cowboys have made quite a few changes this offseason. First of which that has been getting a lot of talk. <clears throat> Kellen Moore out as the OC. Mike McCarthy taking over, calling plays. Mike McCarthy, obviously long history, excuse me, with the Green Bay Packers, was calling plays for I think 12 plus years there. Had a lot of success with Aaron Rodgers, but also had some mishaps in two years of Aaron Rodgers' decline are largely blamed to him because once he was gone and then Matt LaFleur came in, Rodgers had back-to-back -back MVP seasons. So, there's a little bit of hesitancy amongst Cowboys fans, and I completely understand why you'd be a little bit hesitant about that. I think Kellen Moore was a very young and creative OC that, although maybe sometimes he got a little pass-heavy, and I don't know exactly who to put more blame on as far as if it was Dak's fault or Kellen's fault, but it feels like they were using CD Lamb a little bit too much. I think we're going to see a little bit more run-centric of an offense this year, and they basically have two incredibly twitchy, fast slashing running backs in Tony Pollard and Deuce Vaughn. So they're not going to be running a lot of this power stuff, but I really think we're going to see a lot more outside zone and just picking a hole and hitting it hard. I think we're going to see a lot more of that style of offense off of play action from the Cowboys. And with all that being said, the trade for Brandon Cooks makes total sense from that aspect. Bringing in, you know, you're not going to have as much 11 personnel here, but as far as working with play action getting down the field and taking shots brandon cooks is a guy that has been super super reliable over his entire career he's had four 1000 receiving yard seasons with four or he's had more than four 1000 yard receivings but he's had a thousand yard receiving what am i trying to say he's had a thousand yards receiving with four different teams there we go finally got it out there um he is going to be turning 30 this season but two-year $20 million deal, it makes a lot of sense for him. CD Lamb will definitely not be getting 30% of the target share anymore, which was the second highest in the league. So I think they're just looking to spread the ball out a little bit more. Also with Michael Gallup coming back, there is a lot to like with this receiving core. CD Lamb is a very good one in this league, maybe not a top tier upper echelon receiver like a Tyreek Hill, like a Stephon Diggs, like one of those guys. But he's on the tier just below that. He's still a very, very good wide receiver one that most teams would love to have on their team. Brandon Cooks and Michael Gallup can kind of be that 2A, 2B, especially with Michael Gallup now healthy. I'm a big, big Michael Gallup believer. When he's been on the field, he's been nothing short of fantastic. His Maybe his... Uh, Maybe his speed and some of his flashier things aren't, you know, the best as far as consistency, but his contested catch and his contorted catch ability and just his ability for body manipulation is just incredible. I really think he is a very, very good receiver. Very excited to see what he can do this year. And from that point of view, I like the balance that they're bringing on offense because Tony Pollard obviously coming into that RB1 role. You don't have Ezekiel Elliott there as the counter power back. You really just have two scat type backs in the backfield so it's gonna be really interesting to see how they run this offense i think it's gonna look very much like the offense they run in green bay again green bay likes to run that outside zone and then run play action off of that tony pollard is going to be the aaron jones in this offense and then obviously deuce vaughn is not quite the aj dylan aj dylan's more of a power back but aj dylan can also catch the ball out of the backfield deuce vaughn can do that for you 
as well. So there are some comparisons there as far as working with committee. Tony Pollard is obviously going to be the guy there, but don't be surprised if Deuce gets some more work than people expect. Um, either way, my point is this offense is going to be looking a little bit different this year, and I am very curious to see how it is. As far as defense goes, they added Stephon Gilmore on a one-year $9.9 million deal. That is such a steal. These were both trade um, acquisitions. They weren't via free agency. And to only give up two fifth rounders and one sixth for both of these guys that Stephon Gilmore, obviously a former defensive player of the year, he is getting up there in age. I believe he's 32 now, if I'm not mistaken. But you know, when he's on the field has still been fantastic and makes a ton of sense from a schematical point of view. Dan Quinn's defense has been nothing short of fantastic the last couple years, especially last year. They took a big step forward. Ever since they got Micah Parsons, this has been a top-tier defense in the NFL. It should be nothing short of that once again. Adding Stephon Gilmore opposite of Trayvon Diggs, that is a lethal cornerback duo that obviously Trayvon Diggs has gotten some slack for being kind of a boom or bust corner. Stephon Gilmore is very much not like that. Stephon Gilmore is very disciplined, doesn't let the big plays happen a lot of the time, and is just known for being a lockdown island corner back so having those two guys in the same back seven is going to be really really exciting to watch and then obviously they drafted some guys on the defensive side of the ball which i'll get to in a second but let's stick with free agency here for now they re-signed tony pollard to a franchise tag 10 million dollars sorry about that might cut out a little bit but what I was trying to say, Tony Pollard, one of the most explosive backs in the entire league last year, 5.9 yards per carry. I kind of said that weird. 5.9 yards per carry last year. I think that was league leading. If not, it was just behind like Justin Fields or one of those explosive quarterbacks. Either way, Tony Pollard makes total sense that he's coming back here. Kind of surprised they didn't give him a long-term extension, but with all the nightmares from Zeke, I completely understand. I just feel like it was a different situation because Zeke had already had so many miles on him. Tony Pollard has kind of been sitting on the bench anyways, but coming off of an ankle injury and just where the running back market is and no one getting paid, I do get it from that point of view. I think we're due for a really big change in the running back market. I don't think it happens anytime this year, but I think by next offseason, there's going to be a serious change in the running back market. Don't know exactly what it's going to include but it might be the end of the position as a whole if you're confused what i mean by that don't worry i'll explain myself soon there will be an episode talking about that in the near future but they also re-signed terrence Steele, 26 year old one year 4.3 million dollar deal this is an absolute amazing deal for him because he's coming off a torn acl that was happened very late in the week or in the year sorry it happened in week 14 but 82 point run blo run blocking grade via PFF was the best of his career. He really was having a career year before he got injured. So getting him at a low risk deal, one year, $4.3 million is really fantastic because I believe he's still on the pup list and he probably won't be starting for the first, at least the first few weeks of the season. I imagine he won't even be out there until like halfway throughout the season, but that gives you an opportunity for the back half of the season. If he's the same guy that he was the year before, then you can give him that monster deal and two years removed from the ACL, you really expect guys to be 100% of the player they were. So as long as you see those flashes, I think they're comfortable with re-signing him and I don't think many other teams are going to be going for him because again, he's not going to be playing that many games and he's coming off this type of injury. So at only 26 years old, it makes a ton of sense for them to keep him around. Up next, Donovan Wilson, who 28 year old, who really, really had a fantastic year for, excuse me, the Dallas Cowboys last year. He was fantastic. He did everything for this team, was a ball hawk in the back end, could rush the passer, was playing in the down in the box, getting a lot of tackles, helping and run support. 
three years, $21 million for a guy like Donovan Wilson who fits this defense really well and knows his role very well in this defense, that's an absolute steal. He led the team in tackles last year at safety with 101 and also had five sacks. So very capable blitzer, very capable tackler. Donovan Wilson, fantastic player. Really, really good fit in this defense. Three years for $21 million. Great value deal for the Dallas Cowboys. Another value deal, Leighton Vander Esch. Not a fantastic linebacker by any means, but a very, very solid guy who knows the scheme very well. He's been there for a long time. He's played in 60 out of 66 regular season games that he's been a part of. So again, stayed healthy for almost the majority of his career and a two-year $8 million deal for a 27-year-old who knows this defense, has been around it for a while, and has proven that he's just a team player that's willing to do what it takes. I love that. Two years, $8 million. That is fucking nothing. That is a goddamn steal, if you ever ask me. Up next, Cooper Rush, another steal. Don't forget, people were talking about Cooper Rush like he was going to be the guy. Possibly should start over Dak Prescott last year. Getting him back for two years, $5 million. Not much else to say. One of the best backup quarterbacks in the league. Obviously a small sample size last year, only starting in five games. But those five games, he looked fantastic. Kept him in a lot of games. Had them winning a lot of games. I believe they went 4-1 and one in that stretch with their only loss coming to the Eagles, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong about that stat. But two years, $5 million for one of the better quarterback, backup quarterbacks in the league. Really good deal for me. Up next, Dante Fowler. This is another steal. He turns 29 in August, had six sacks last year for the Dallas Cowboys, but he only played in 27.2% of snaps. So when you think about the snap count to sack ratio, that is fantastic value for a one-year $3 million deal. And I think he knows, and I think Dan Quinn knows, and I think everyone in the Cowboys organization knows, this guy probably wouldn't be as good if he went anywhere else. So from that point of view, it totally makes sense to keep him around. And Dan Quinn just knows how to use his guys. He is probably the best coordinator in all of the NFL. And then as far as the draft goes, we can turn our attention there because that's basically all the biggest free agency names I've already talked about. Mozzie Smith was their first pick in the first round. Intriguing upside as a pass rusher, but he's going to run. The, he's going to help the run defense immediately, which was 22nd in the league. That was their biggest weakness on defense. I really think that Mozzie Smith is going to make an immediate day one impact. His power is absolutely insane. He had a really, really good athletic profile at the combine for his size and just a really, really disruptive nose tackle. Again, nose tackles like this maybe don't always have the best stats on paper, but what they do is far bigger than the stats will ever show they fuck up plays they create double teams and create one-on-ones for other people um they open up lanes for pass rushers they keep pass rushers clean like you know dante fowler is going to be like um dexter lawrence or not dexter lawrence like demarcus lawrence is going to be like obviously michael parsons who's moving full-time to edge this offseason um michael parsons is going to have a monster year don't be surprised if he ends up the defensive player of the year he's been second two years in a row now i really feel like the nfl wants to give it to him if he's healthy he's going to have the numbers to do it so if you're putting in bets list for season-long bets michael parsons defensive player of the year definitely one i'd be eyeing Either way, that's not the point I'm trying to get to here. Mozzie Smith is going to be a really great fit in this defense. He's going to help contribute to run support. And Dan Quinn just got himself yet another monster along this defensive line to play with because this defensive line, yes, they're a majority pass rushers and even their interior guys have a lot of pass rush moves. Mozzie Smith, while he does have, again, intriguing upside as a pass rusher, he's going to be a great day one run stuffer. And it makes a lot of sense from what this defense needs. Up next, they took Luke Schoonmaker, who was the replacement for Dalton Schultz. Totally makes sense. Again, he was featured in a very heavy run offense 
in Michigan. And like I mentioned earlier, Dallas is probably going to be running the ball a lot more this year. So from that point of view, it makes sense. He's a very capable run blocker, but he also has intriguing upside and athleticism as a pass catcher. He really wasn't heavily used in a pass catching role at Michigan because again, they just ran the ball so damn much. But I think there is very intriguing upside in that regard. And I think, you know, the best is maybe yet to come in his receiving ability in the NFL. It might be one of those players like a George Kittle where obviously no one is George Kittle. George Kittle is one of one. He's fucking fantastic. But the point that I'm trying to say is George Kittle was far more of a blocking prospect to Iowa. That was a team that ran the ball a lot. You really didn't see his receiving ability too much. And then he came into the NFL, polished his game, and now he is a serious I don't know if you call it dual threat tight end, but I'm going to call it dual threat tight end because he can block and he can catch. Luke Schoonmaker has that kind of upside. So I, when the pick was made initially, I didn't know too much about Schoonmaker's game. And I really just like didn't pay too much attention. Actually, that's a lie. I did pay a decent amount of attention to the tight end class. I just paid a lot more attention to other guys like a Darnell Washington, uh, like Luke Musgrave and some of the other guys that were being talked about a lot. Luke Schoonmaker kind of went underneath my radar. But for replacing a Dalton Schultz and how he's going to fit in this offense, I think it makes total sense. Up next, this was a fit that I would have loved to see in this defense. He's a converted safety that flies around like a converted safety. He's technically a linebacker, but he really plays both. He played the University of Texas, but he tore his ACL this offseason. I'm so bummed about it. Demarion Overshawn would have been so fun to watch in this Cowboys defense. He's like the safety version. He's like... Very kind of similar to how Isaiah Simmons was coming out of college where he could do a little bit of everything and he was just a heat-sicking missile and run support. A little bit undersized for a traditional Mike linebacker. That's probably wouldn't like how you'd play him in the NFL level. But Dan Quinn, if anyone could have figured out how to use this guy, it would have been Dan Quinn. And he's a Texas guy staying in state. I would have loved to see him on the football field. I know that sometimes these tweener guys, like they don't have a solidified role in the NFL, so they can't make it, or it's just like a little bit, the coaching staff doesn't know exactly what to use with them or something like that. We saw that with Isaiah Simmons, but I really think this would have been the perfect destination for him. Unfortunately, we're not going to be able to see him playing this year. Really looking forward to seeing him in the future because I think this could be a really, really fun fit in this defense. They also went defense again with their next pick and taking, I might mispronounce this because I honestly didn't pay too much attention before i was familiar with the name before he got drafted but i didn't really watch any film or anything like that uh vilami fahoko i hope i'm saying that right he was a very productive honestly just a very productive player in general i was going to say pass rusher at san jose state but he had 19 tfls too with nine sacks last year and again a great fit because he's going to help out in the run game immediately but maybe not necessarily a position of need it sounds like they're going to be moving him into the interior um, there's no, you know, shortage of interior pass rushers that the Cow- Cowboys have. Obviously, uh, Armstrong leading the way there. I forget his first name. Either way, not really a position in need, but a really fun fit in this defense. And again, another player that I think could be really productive. I think Dan Quinn can pretty much make anyone productive, but Filemi, Valemi, Valemi, I don't know. Fahoko could really be productive in this defense. And he was, I believe he was, uh, not Big Sky, Big West. I believe it was. He was Big West Defensive Player of the Year, so that's definitely worth mentioning. And then, of course, last guy I want to tackle, or tackle, last guy I want to cover in their draft is Deuce Vaughn. Obviously, Deuce been getting a lot of talk because he was one of the most productive running backs in all of college over the past few years, but the biggest knock on him was just size. 5'5", 176. He's obviously never going to be a workhorse back. 
but his ability to just like it's so funny because so, i forgot i think it was mike renner of pff who just put it so perfectly he's so small and such a jitterbug he's so quick on his feet that he'll literally disappear behind blockers like tacklers will completely lose him you can see it on film and he'll manipulate how small he is and sit behind his blockers it's like the Le'Veon bell like patience vision thing but instead of using his blockers to like wait for them to develop he'll literally use those lanes and sit behind them so the tacklers can't see him and when they think he's about to slant right he'll hit it and go oh that was probably really loud my bad he'll slam on the brakes and go right so he's got incredible vision almost 3,000 rushing yards in the past two years at kansas state that is absolutely incredible production he's not going to break many tackles again because of his size but he's an absolute jitterbug can break ankles can leave you in the dust and has an ability to just hit a corner really really fucking hard and really fast so all that being said that leads me to my record prediction for the dallas cowboys i have them going 10 and 7 some games that i want to highlight and again i know some of you cowboy fans listening to this might not be too excited about that you might want a little bit more wins on their schedule but i think 10 is pretty realistic some games that i want to highlight highlight are um you guys are taking an l at the dolphins week 15 what else do I have in here? I do have you guys beating the Jets week two because I think that's just a bad matchup for the Jets. I'm a little worried about the Jets. I'm not going to lie. I Obviously, they have a fantastic roster. I'm going to be talking about the AFC East here soon. But I do worry about their offensive line. Um, I, I think I've already talked about that in previous episodes a little bit. I also have you guys losing in the rematch to the Niners. Um, what else do I have you guys doing? I have you guys beating the Rams. I have you guys beating the Chargers, I believe. Where is that game? I know that the Cowboys are coming to LA at some point to play the Chargers. Yes, I do have you guys winning that game. Um, and I have a feeling that crowd is going to be majority. <laughs> it's going to be majority Cowboys fans and not Chargers fans. Anyways, the over-under is at 10.5, so I really think the line makers got it just right on this one. Obviously, have you guys going 10-7. and seven. Not much else to say there about the Dallas Cowboys. So, without further ado, let's move on to the New York Giants. Alright, so let's move on to the New York Giants. The New York Giants were really really hard to predict in general because i think this team i mean so far out of all the teams i previewed this team easily has the largest gap between their floor and their ceiling i think their ceiling is legitimately like 11 12 wins and i think their floor is as low as like six or seven i really think that there's a lot of different ways that this could play out especially if they have a, a few injuries this team could go down quickly because they don't have a lot of depth if i'm being completely honest but I will say, you know, keeping it a glass half full because by the time we get to the record prediction, it'll feel more like a glass half empty. They did have an amazing draft. I love a lot of the picks they've made. I'll get to those in a second. But Deontay Banks, Eric Gray, John Michael Schmitz, I think those were all fantastic picks. John Michael Schmitz is going to be a day one starter and was probably my favorite center prospect in this entire draft prospect he's just so polished can do everything really well as far as pass blocking and run blocking he i believe he was a four-year starter possibly three-year starter at the university of minnesota but he's seen it all he's done it all really really like him as a prospect he's going to be an immediate impact starter uh really one of the bears to get him if i'm being honest but nevertheless i think deontay banks is going to be an incredible cornerback in this league as well even if he's not i mean you have all the tools there for him to be he jumped out of the gym and in the combine he ran so fucking fast he ran in the four fours i actually i think he ran in the four threes if i'm not mistaken i should have pulled up his profile but i believe he ran a four three five actually um i'm just gonna check really quick because it takes two seconds 
he did run a 4.35. I was absolutely right. So yeah, blazing speed on the edge there. Or not on the edge, on the corner back position there. And this is a team that I just want to give them their credit because they've just done things the right way in the draft. They've used their amazing draft capital, taken advantage of their amazing draft capital, and built from the trenches. I mean, if you just think going a few years back, Dexter Lawrence and Andrew Thomas, obviously they weren't in the exact same draft. I think Dexter Lawrence was the year before him. But those were fantastic picks, and they legitimately have changed their franchise for the better. Dexter Lawrence had an absolute breakout last year, one of the best interior defensive linemen in the entire league. Uh, Andrew Thomas, one of the best left tackles in the entire league. So if guys like Kayvon Thibodeau and Evan Neal can take similar steps forward that those guys took, this is going to be a team that, again, has proven they've built their teams the right way. I think... That is the absolute best way to establish a team. You should build from the trenches and worry about everything else from there. Um, I think there's a lot of teams that can take a note out of the Giants book and learn from what they've done because their drafts have been phenomenal. The way they've built this team has been phenomenal from acquiring guys in trades like Leonard Williams and you know bringing in guys like a John Michael Schmitz, like an Evan Neal, like Andrew Thomas. Those are all guys they drafted themselves. And I think those three guys in particular I just mentioned along the offensive line are going to be starters for a very long time and they're going to bring sort of like what the Eagles have right now where they're the Eagles offensive line they've had guys there for a long long time they have a really good chemistry together they've developed together and it makes a really good locker room and really good leadership when you see guys that you know have been around for a long time want to continue playing for a team and the team continues paying them because they're so productive i think that we could see something similar here with the giants if everything goes right the giants future could be very very bright um again just love the way this team has built their team and i'm wishing the best for Kayvon thibodeau and evan neal because if they take the steps going forward this is going to be a team that's going to be very set along the trenches and as long as you're set in the trenches you're going to be competitive in every single game that you play in also worth mentioning, they drafted Eric Gray, maybe to replace Saquon Barkley, but more likely just to be a background guy there and add some depth because Saquon um, obviously couldn't agree on a long-term contract. I just mentioned this with, excuse me, Miles Sanders and Ezekiel Elliott and what's and Tony Pollard and what's been going on with the running back market. It's just fucked up right now. Um, but again, Saquon, a guy with injury history, he really was the oil that made the machine go of this Giants deep offense. So if any team was going to pay their, their running back, I thought it was going to be the Giants. They didn't end up doing that, but he's going to be at back for at least one more year. He signed that franchise tag and they also signed Danny, Danny Dimes. He proves that he's their guy. I'm really impressed with how they handled the Daniel Jones thing as well, because me personally, I would have been, if I was that GM, there's no way I would have stayed this patient with him. And they were very patient with him. They let him play four years. I doubted him. I will completely admit it. I think a lot of other guys around the league also doubted him, but he really proved that he was worth the money. Um, Four-year, $160 million deal. Again, not a fantastic quarterback, not a very elite quarterback, but just a pretty average quarterback that is a very good game manager and definitely reduced some of the turnover-worthy plays that he had in the past couple years. He had a bad fumbling problem, especially starting from his rookie year. He's really fixed that up. And it also seems like he's more decisive when he does run and when he does scramble and they're using him on design runs which i really think just adds a whole another element to the offense and he's more than capable of doing that he showed the athleticism of being able to do that last year 
Some other notes I have here, as well as some other free agency additions they made. Bobby Okereke was a big name they added in free agency. They signed him for a four-year, $40 million contract, which from a schematic point, I thought it was a little bit strange at first, but the more I think about it, the more I do like it. They needed linebacker help with guys like... Um, I'm forgetting their names, like Landon Collins, Tay Crowder, Jalen Smith, they all moved on, so they needed some help in the linebacker unit. Makes total sense from that point of view. He set a career high in 150 tackle, 152 tackles last year, so it should be an improvement from what they had last year, because obviously, I just mentioned, they've moved on from three, like two and a half linebackers, because Landon Collins was kind of more of a robber type guy, but... It's kind of addition by subtraction in that regard because a lot of those guys were getting paid a pretty good amount of money and they really weren't it in general. So bringing a guy like Bobby Okereke in, even though he's not going to be like your dominant all-pro level linebacker or even like Pro Bowl level linebacker, he's still a very solid backer that has a lot of experience playing for really good defenses. Three of his four years with Indianapolis, they had a top 10 defense. So again, knows what it's like being in a locker room and leading a defense that's been really good uh, and he's only 26 years old so for that I do like it a lot and I don't feel like 10 million dollars is that much for someone like him 10 million annually obviously and you're going to have him for the next four years so hopefully he can adjust and learn you know more about this defense and kind of find his own role you have Micah McFadden starting next to him and then obviously you play a 3-4 defense so those are the only two off-ball linebackers you have the other linebackers going to be there are Kayvon Thibodeau and Aziz Ojalari who are obviously traditional pass rushers and then they also drafted Jalen Hyatt, who I haven't mentioned yet, because it is worth mentioning that the biggest weakness of this team was really their outside perimeter weapons. And despite that, they still made it to the playoffs and won a playoff game. So got to give them a lot of credit there. But um, that's not really, you know, what they prioritize. Still, they did their best to address this with drafting Jalen Hyatt. They were sitting there at 89. They ended up trading up to 73, giving up pick 128 and getting the Bulitnikov winner for you know, the best receiver in all of college football last year. I don't, I'm not very high on Jalen Hyatt, but for where they got him at pick 73 and for what this team needed, I think it makes a lot of sense. But at the same aspect, you know, I maybe would have even taken his teammate Cedric Tillman over him, just given what this team wants. But then they added Darren Waller, and I thought that the, the Hyatt addition with that also in mind makes a lot more sense because Darren Waller, obviously... He is traditionally a tight end, but he's basically a big body receiver that you want to put on the outside. They're going to be using him a lot in the red zone because he's just a mismatch. And I like that he's coming into this Brian Dable offense. I think they're going to know how to use him creatively. The biggest question mark with him, obviously, is just can he stay healthy? They're paying him a lot. I believe he's getting paid $17 million a year. That's why the Raiders only traded him for a fifth round pick because people know that he's an injury prone guy. He's on the wrong side of 30 and he's getting paid $17 million a year, but the upside is absolutely there if he is on the field. He is fantastic when playing, and Jalen Hyatt complements his role because they're completely different roles. Obviously, Darren Waller is going to be more of that possession guy, that possession receiver, even though, again, traditionally he is a tight end. He's basically a wide receiver out there, and then Jalen Hyatt's going to be playing that slot, that Z, that either one, whatever you want to play him in. You can play both of those roles, but he's going to be the one opening up, stretching the field vertically for those guys, and um, even being used in motion as a Z, you know, coming across on ball screens and stuff like that and jet sweeps, all that kind of stuff. I think he can do a lot of that for you. So 
again, a little bit weird because they already have so many of those types of guys as far as like Darius Slayton, Paris Campbell, Sterling Shepard, Wandale Robinson. They're all like these little gadget Z slot, whatever you want to call them, receivers that just are kind of jitterbugs. But Isaiah Hodgins should take an increased role as the X receiver on the outside. And then Darren Waller is basically an X receiver himself. So again, if those two guys can stay healthy that I just mentioned in Hodgins and Waller, I think this passing game should you know only see improvements. And moving on to, they re-signed Dexter Lawrence. No surprise there. Four-year, $90 million deal. He obviously had a career year, and bringing in Wink Martindale on the defensive side of the ball helps a lot. He is one of the best defensive coordinators in all of football. It showed out big last year for this team. And again, there's a lot to like defensively as far as you know what they've added and what guys should be developing into. Um, so Xavier McKinney is also back healthy. That's definitely worth mentioning when he is playing. He is one of the better free safeties in the league. Adoree Jackson coming back at the cornerback position opposite of Deontay Banks. So again, there's there's the names, name value. There's a lot to like on this defense, right? Dexter Lawrence, Leonard Williams, Kayvon Thibodeau, Azizo Jalari, uh, Deontay Banks, Xavier McKinney. Those are all names that if you're you know not a casual in the sport, you, you more than likely know those names and those are pretty big names. The problem is, one, their division. Their division is so fucking tough and it's so fucking good. And that's why their floor and their ceiling can be so different because I think there's a lot depending on a couple big things. The biggest X factors to me, in my opinion, are Darren Waller and Saquon Barkley's health. If those two guys can stay healthy, these this team could definitely, you know, potentially hit their ceiling of 11 or 12 wins. If they're not healthy, I think it's a pretty safe to say that these guys will not be anywhere near their ceiling. Another thing is how well do their rookies play, especially Banks and John Michael Schmitz. If those dudes can be immediate impact starters, then again, just like we saw last year with the Jets, with having Garrett Wilson and Sauce Gardner, you know, two rookies that contribute immediately, it's a very, very, it does a lot for a locker room, but it also does a lot for winning football games. So we're going to have to see how well those guys play. We're going to see how well Daniel Jones, if he can continue to prove that he is the guy, he was worth the money that they gave him. And then also, I think the biggest X factor is Brian Dayball, his coaching scheme, and just the rest of the league. We see this time and time again. We've seen it with Matt Nagy. We've seen it with Matt LaFleur. Matt Nagy is the prime example of it though where coaches have an absolutely excellent first year and then the league kind of figures out their schemes they become a little more basic um, there's not actually that much specialty going on it's just like a little bit of flair and offenses that are pretty basic and then the league comes around they figure it out and next thing you know Matt Nagy going back to the Kansas City Chiefs as a quarterback coach you know his fall from glory was um not fantastic because I'm a Bears fan. Don't want to call it fantastic, but it was quite cinematic. I guess I'll say I'll put it that way. So something similar could happen. Brian Dayball. I don't fully anticipate that happening, um, but it definitely is something worth mentioning. And it has happened before. This is a pattern we've seen in the NFL. So, you know, can Brian Dayball keep his offense fresh, keep it new? Time will only tell. Can their guys stay healthy? Time will only tell. So as far as record prediction goes, this might annoy some of you Giants fans. And honestly, I thought I was going to have them winning a lot more games because I was kind of talking myself into this team. But frankly, their schedule is pretty fucking brutal. I have them winning against the Cardinals. I have them winning against the Seahawks at home. I have them beating the Commanders at home. I have them beating the Commanders away as well. Um, I have them beating the Patriots at home, the Packers at home. 
Uh, I also haven't beaten the Jets at home because, again, I just don't think that's a very good matchup for the Jets, and I think Dexter Lawrence might have a hell of a game that day. But that only comes out to eight wins. I have them going eight and nine. I know that might annoy some of you Giants fans. Um, I'm sorry about that, but I just have to be a realist here. I think they're going to regress a little bit. Their schedule is brutal. But hey, your win total is at seven and a half over under. So you can't really blame me. Vegas agrees with me on this one. And I even have you guys going over. So sorry about that, Giants fans. I hope you understand. And that's all I've got to say about your team. <laughs> Let's move on to the Commanders. All right, the Washington Commanders. Probably going to spend the least time on this team. Don't hate me, Jack. I just don't really see this team going that far this year. I think there's a lot of exciting storylines. Obviously, we got to start by addressing Sam Howell as quarterback one, quarterback of the future, hopefully. Former fifth-round fifth pick last year in last year's draft, but at one point, this dude was being talked about as a first-round pick, possibly even the first quarterback off the board. He had... A couple really, really good years there at North Carolina and then kind of lost some of his weapons in Deontay Brown, um, some other guys there, Deami Brown, excuse me, who funny enough is actually with the commanders now and the running backs left in Javante Williams and Chris Carter. So there's a lot of turnover in his team. And then his last year there at UNC did not look nearly like the guy that he was. But it is worth mentioning that there were some positives out of that. He really showed his rushing upside during that season. They basically completely changed the offense and made him more of a dual threat. So from that point of view, it's very interesting. And I, I am kind of a Sam Howell believer. I believe he can be very good in this league. It just does concern me a little bit that there was such a significant drop-off um, in production. But I like his potential. I like that there is an upside there. Um, I need to see it to believe it first because I didn't watch honestly I didn't watch too much Sam Howell film and maybe I'm sleeping a little bit but as a fan it's kind of exciting that way when there's a little more mystery in the air and intrigue and we'll see what ends up coming out of Sam Howell but there is definitely potential there and there is stuff to get excited about very good arm good athleticism and kind of just like an upgraded Baker Mayfield out there. Um, obviously, Baker's technically still a starter in this league, but don't expect him to be hanging around Tampa much longer. I think this might be his last tenure as a starter. We'll see. Point is, we're talking about Sam Howell here, not Baker Mayfield, but they look very, very, very damn similar on a football field. Um, they also worth mentioning, they did not pick up the fifth-year option on Chase Young's contract. Uh, that's interesting, but at the same time, it makes total sense. He's dealt with a ton of injuries these past couple years. And I think it puts a little bit more of a chip on his shoulder, gives him a little bit more motivation to just try that much harder to earn the bag. Um, he could easily have, you know, a, I don't want to say a breakout year because his rookie year really was his breakout year where everyone knew his name, but he could kind of reestablish himself as a top tier pass rusher this year and then still earn himself a pretty good paycheck there. Wouldn't be surprised if that's what ended up happening. Also, wouldn't be surprised if he kept dealing with injuries or just wasn't, you know, as productive as we've seen him in the past. And he, they end up moving on from him and elect to give Montez Sweat the big contract instead. Because, again, they're both up for contracts. It's very much worth mentioning that. It's also worth mentioning that they just drafted two defensive linemen, two defensive ends in particular in the NFL draft. Um... They're much later down in the draft board, so you know we don't expect them to be immediate starters, but still, bringing in competition for Chase Young and Montez Sweat in case they do move on from those guys could be interesting there. Also, they're already paying Deron Payne a bag. I can't remember his exact contract. I should have written it down here. Um, I'm going to look it up really quick. But uh, 
four year, $90 million. So basically the exact same deal as Dexter Lawrence, in my opinion, a little bit of an overpay, but at the same time, it's the identity of their team. It's what it's their bread and butter. It's their defensive line is what makes this team go. And it's the identity of this team. So from that point of view, I totally understand it. Had a really, really productive year last year, even if some of the sacks were kind of cleanup sacks and, you know, it wasn't fully his accomplishment. It's still worth mentioning that he had a breakout year last year. And I don't even want to say a breakout year because he's been consistently good. But, you know, 10 plus sacks from an interior defensive line position is definitely worth mentioning and definitely something, you know, to brag about if you're a Washington fan. Free agent signings. They signed Nick Gates, who will compete for the starting center job uh, against Ricky Stromberg, who is a rookie coming out of Arkansas. I expect him to be more of a swing guy, but still, three years, $16.5 million coming over from the New York Giants. Um, again, taking away from a division rival while also not paying too much and bringing in competition for your rookies. This is a team that their offensive line is easily their biggest weakness on this team and definitely needed to be addressed. They addressed it big time in the draft and via free agency because not only have they had some injuries as far as Trey Turner goes already, who was signed um, now on his fourth team in four years. He was signed, um, or he did leave, sorry. He signed with the Saints, uh, now is put on IR. But my point is, um, a few other depth pieces off the offensive line position left as well. Uh, Wes Schweitzer, I hope I'm saying that rant, right? Andrew Norwell and Wes Martin are all gone now. So addressing those positions in the offseason was a very big priority. So getting Nick Gates is definitely going to help with depth there, even if he doesn't start immediately. This A guy that will start immediately is Andrew Wiley. He signed a three-year, $24 million deal. Obviously, he has history with Eric Bieniemy being his offensive coordinator while he was there in Kansas City. Andrew Wiley is honestly not that great of a tackle, but if anything, he's average at best. Um, but he's still an upgrade, and again, this is still a team that needed help along the offensive line, so it makes a ton of sense there, especially, again, given his history with Bieniemy. They also needed help. Sorry, that was probably pretty loud. I just dropped my pen. They also needed help um, along their linebacker unit with releasing John Bostic and Cole Holcomb. Um, they added Cody Barton, which really just feels like a lateral move. I don't think it's an upgrade or a downgrade, but needed to address it nonetheless. So they ended up going for him. I'm going to look up their depth chart really quick because I can't remember their other linebackers. Oh, Jamin Davis. That's right. Jamin Davis needs to step up. He needs to step up this year. This is kind of his make or break year. He was a former first round pick um, and they really need him to step up. They uh, Obviously, with the subtractions that they made in the linebacker unit it's david mayo it's cody barden it's Jameis davis and that's kind of it they need those guys to play well because their defense could be you know limited by those dudes production and especially in the secondary i like a lot of the moves that they've made but we'll get to that in a second um also signed jacoby Brissett, who will be a mentor slash competition for sam howell i really don't think that he's ever going to start any games unless sam howell just absolutely bombs but jacoby Brissett been around the league a long time seen a lot of stuff um played for some really great coaches so makes total sense there for a mentor for sam howell michael badgley coming in and bringing some competition for joey sly who apparently hasn't been doing too well in training camp but i don't really think it's going to make that much of a difference i still think joey sly is going to be their guy going forward and again Kicker, don't get me wrong, very important position. You need to have a good kicker in this league. You need to have a kicker that can hit kicks consistently, but um, not too much of a storyline there. Obviously, Carson Wentz being released and Heineke getting signed with the Falcons, two big storylines, but we all know that already. That's not any news. Sam Howell has been the quarterback one. Um, so let's talk about some other guys that left. Cam Sims, 
Don't sleep on Cam Sims. Big play Sims. He made some crazy big plays for the Commanders over the past few years. He's gone. J.D. McKissick, also gone. Very, very good third down back. Uh, we expect Antonio Gibson to take more of that receiving role and beat Brian Robinson to be more of the second and first down back. Um, J.D. McKissick, though, was a very, very good receiving back. Moving on to their draft. Their first pick of the draft was Emmanuel Forbes. Really surprised they didn't go with Christian Gonzalez, who was sitting there at 16. But Emmanuel Forbes, this guy could be really, really, really good. I get the argument for him because he probably has the best ball skills in the entire draft. He was my sixth-ranked cornerback prospect, and he definitely would have been higher if he was just like 20 pounds heavier. But that was really the biggest knock on him. He's 6'1", 166 pounds. That's basically the only knock on him but i'm a believer i i think i think i'm a believer i'm hesitantly a believer because we've literally never seen a cornerback this small be productive but we just saw Devontae smith come in and be absolutely fantastic at receiver at basically the same size so i think emmanuel forbes can make up for it with just how instinctive he is and how good his ball skills is because he's also freakishly fast so he can make up for lost ground he also ran a 4-3-5-40 really really good athlete there and his college numbers are just dumb. They're so fucking dumb, dude. In 36 games in college, he had 150 tackles, six and a half tackles for loss, 14, yeah, 14 interceptions, 21 pass breakups, and six of those interceptions went back for a touchdown. That's an all-time FBS record. This dude is a playmaker. He's a ball hawk. He's got really good skills. Again, I just worry about him in press, playing at the line, covering these top-tier receivers, especially, you know, in his own division. He's going to be having to guard guys. In certain scenarios, he will be guarding Darren Waller. He will be guarding Isaiah Hodgins. He will be guarding A.J. Brown. Um, so a little bit nervous in that regard. But, I mean, the film is fantastic. The ball skills are there. And I think, I think I'm a believer in Emmanuel Forbes. I'm hesitantly a believer in Emmanuel Forbes. Up next, Jatavius Martin also goes by Quan, if I'm not mistaken. I've been seeing that pop up in different articles. I don't know where that came from. I haven't even found a video of him saying his own name, but I think he goes by Quan Martin. Um, another just fantastic athlete. Uh, another member of that amazing Illinois secondary that I brought up earlier, obviously Sydney, Sydney Brown going to the Philadelphia Eagles. Now Jatavius Martin, the other safety there, more of a free safety, excuse me, <coughs> going to... <coughs> excuse me fuck going to the washington commanders here and again just a freak athleticism here ran four four six forties one four seven ten yard split so extremely explosive and then jumped out the gym 44 inch vertical is fucking ridiculous with 133 inch broad jump again another ridiculous number so really really good freak athlete there um Maybe a little bit raw as a prospect can get a little bit antsy and kind of overextend and then get burnt deep. But I really, really like his potential there. He made a really big splash play in the preseason already, showing his ball skills and taking it back for a great return. So Jatavius Martin, um, maybe a little bit high for a draft pick for where he was taken, but I think he can be a really good player. Um, just, again, kind of surprised in some of the directions they went in the draft. But, again, that doesn't mean it was a bad draft. That doesn't mean that these players are going to be bad. Just a little bit surprised with where their priorities were. But, again, I get it. I get why they made these picks. And they're really emphasizing that their defense, they want to continue to have their defense be the identity of this team, the strong suit of this team. They then, they then picked back-to-back -back offensive linemen. Again, makes total sense. They needed. I thought they were going to prioritize offensive line a little bit earlier. Um, and one of them is already on IR and Brandon, da Braden Daniels. So that is a little bit concerning there, but 
offensive line is probably the biggest weakness on this team still, so I like that they added some depth there. They added Ricky Stromberg, who, again, might be the day one starter at center. Probably not. Probably going to be Nick Gates, and then Ricky will take over, you know, as he develops a little bit more. As of right now, at least via ESPN, it says that Nick Gates is supposed to be their starting center. Sam Cosme going to be their starting right guard. Andrew Wiley going to be the starting right tackle. Obviously, Cosme played right tackle last year. Moving into guard with Andrew Wiley coming in, I think Cosme is a better guard than he is tackle. Sadiq Charles is their left tackle. And then Charles Leno, who, again, might be a little bit of a liability over there at left tackle. I do kind of like their interior of their line. I like Sam Cosme. I like Nick Gates and Sadiq Charles. That's not a bad interior offensive line, but I do have a little bit concerned about their tackles. Um, they got a really good value pick with KJ Henry in the fifth round. He turned it on last year. Bit of an older prospect. He's going to be 25 soon, so I think that's why he fell a little bit, but was a captain at Clemson last year. Uh, I think a pretty decently high ceiling as a run blocker or a run stopper, sorry. Needs to improve a little bit as a pass rusher, but I totally get the appeal there. Um, they also added Andre Jones, who I mentioned a little bit earlier, bringing in competition for Chase Young and Montez Sweat, who again will both be free agents next year. Um, so that's enough about their defense. Let's get into their offense a little bit more because I really like this team's offensive weapons. Terry McLaurin has been dealing with a little bit of a toe turf injury. I'm not too concerned about it. Sounds like he should be ready for week one. Even if he's not, Jahan Dotson is a huge breakout candidate for me this year. I loved what I saw from him in his rookie year. He was fantastic in the limited playing time that he got. And we've even seen it in the preseason, especially when Terry McLaurin wasn't out there. Jahan Dotson is a true number one out there when Terry isn't there. And then Curtis Samuel as your number three, who's no longer having to be your number two receiver. I like that a lot. Uh, don't love a lot of their tight ends, but Logan Thomas coming back. Still, it's all right. It's fine. <laughs> it gets the job done. Um, but I still think this team is maybe a year or two off from being serious, you know, you know, giving teams serious problems. I still think they can be... A, you know a pain in the side of some of these teams just with how good this defense should still be and if Sam Howell can you know surprise some people then you never know this team could really make a playoff push after all they were 500 last year and I definitely didn't expect that at all from them but you know if I'm just going with my gut and going what I have to say and I'm you know putting my name out there on the record for their record prediction I have them going six and eleven their over under projected win total is at six and a half so again I'm Feeling pretty similar to Vegas in this one. Some some of their games I want to highlight, I guess because they have less wins than they do Ws. I'll just go over their wins really quickly. I have them beating, um, and more realistically, it's probably like 5-12 and because I think I just realized I had an overlap where I think I had the Giants sweeping them, but now I'm looking at it and I have them beating the Giants at home one of these times. So if you're a Giants fan, you know, keep the record that I predicted you for, 8-9. If you're a Commanders fan, keep keep this record. Keep this record at 6-11. and 11. I'll just satisfy both of you. But just know that I'm a game off on both of those predictions. But whatever. I'm fucking... I'm just... I guess I'm just playing devil's advocate here. And I'm just like satisfying the, the crowds that I know are going to be listening here. So, whoops. Whatever. Anyways, I have you guys beating the Cardinals week one. I have you guys beating my Bears. Because I think I'm coming back down to earth a little bit on my Bears. I had the Bears going 10-7 and seven in my episode. Spoiler alert, that's not going to happen. Not after what I've seen in the preseason, not after me noticing that Justin Fields is really not developing as a passer like I want him to. His accuracy is still all over the place. He can't fucking read the field. I'm really, really fucking nervous about the Bears because I don't like what I've seen from the preseason. But hey, last preseason, we look like world beaters. So you never really know. Preseason, you take everything with a grain of salt. But I just don't like 
what I've seen from Justin Fields. So I have him beating the Bears, have him beating the Giants, and I have him beating the Rams, the Jets, and the Cowboys week 17. So let me know how you guys feel about this episode. That's going to do it for me. I hope you enjoyed. Uh, share this with your friends and family. Be sure to go follow me over at Murphy's League on Instagram. I appreciate each and every single one of you guys. And